The way in which a man accepts his fate and all the suffering it entails, the way in which he takes up his cross, gives him ample opportunity, even under the most difficult circumstances, to add a deeper meaning to his life. It may remain brave, dignified, and unselfish, or in the bitter fight for self-preservation he may forget his human dignity and become no more than an animal. Here lies the chance for a man to make either use of or forego the opportunity of attaining the moral values that a difficult situation may afford him, and this decides whether he is worthy of his suffering or not. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Book Club Night. I'm Jess Holmes, and joining me, as always, is Elise. Hey, Elise. Hello. Hi, everybody. Happy Friday. How's it going? It's going great. School's back in session. I'm running around like a chicken with my head cut off, as always. How are you doing? Yay. Doing good. Um, School's always in session, so I don't... I don't know. I'm just kidding. But (laughs) I'm glad you're back at it. I'm sure it's been so great to have some time off and chillax a little bit not have to worry about students or yeah work yeah (laughs) sleep in maybe I don't know if teachers know how to sleep in okay for me sleeping in is sleeping until seven and it's an absolute luxury and I miss it I miss (laughs) not getting up at 4 30 oh my word oh my word see to me, like teachers are a whole nother animal because I, I am admired. There's so much you do that I admire, but that alone, like four thirty. There's a four thirty. There's two of them. Yes. Weird. Yeah, it, it's the morning four thirty and then the afternoon four thirty. I would. It'd be even better to wake up at the afternoon four thirty, but then I'd miss work. So. Oh right. I guess there's that. Somebody's somebody's got to do it, right? It'd be weird if they were just sitting all in the classroom all by themselves. I think I'd get fired. Maybe at some point, but, you know, whatever. whatever. <laughs> no, I'm excited. I see that um, certain people in the chat, I won't name names, Oisky, uh, haven't <laughs> read the book. But, no, I'm just, dang, just throwing shade right away. I'm just going to do, I'm just going to be that person. No, what's cool about this book, I think, is, uh, for us to talk about it and to really get something out of it, I, like I highly recommend reading it. Read oh, it. Yes. Read it. I everybody I talk to, they're like, "What's your favorite? This one, this one. Read this, and then I'll talk yeah. to you about other books." <laughs> but we can still like. I'm glad you're here. Anybody who hasn't read it, who's here, I'm glad you're here because there's so much you can enjoy, um, and get from even just the conversation around this book. I think. I agree. I actually don't think you have to have read the book in order to engage in the conversation that we're going to talk about tonight, which is, it says a lot about what Viktor Frankl has to say about life, about meaning, about the meaning of life, all of those things. So if you guys 
didn't see the thumbnail or don't know what we're talking about, this month's book for January is Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning. Uh, who introduced this book to you, Elise? Did you just like find it? Did someone recommend it to you? That's a great question. Actually, I was, I think it was like forever ago, an Instagram post or something like books you have to listen mm. to or books you have to read. Right. <clears throat> for me, it's usually the same thing. <laughs> listen, read. We're not even going right. to touch that hot topic. Not having that debate. If we're going to have that debate, that's going to be a an after show sort of thing. That's an old, that's a whole thing in and of itself. But, right. uh, and th this was one of them and I couldn't tell you anything else that was on the list, but there was something about this book and like their short description. I was like, yep, I got to do it. And I, I yeah. bought it like that day <laughs> and uh, sat down and read it in two days, which, and I was, I was a mom then when I read it. So, and that's wow. like unheard of. <laughs> that, that is good. a fast read. I mean, I listened to this book again in two days. This, I, I actually reread this book because I think same thing. Someone, I had seen it somewhere. I feel like I probably saw it recommended by like Jordan Peterson or somebody mm. associated with the Daily Wire. And I was like, oh, I should probably read that. And I remember getting my oil change and reading this book and just like, ugly crying because it was so intense it's so good it's just so good and what I love and we'll get into this I'm sure but what I love is he's like I'm not here to tell you all the horror stories of being yeah. if uh, spoiler alert this guy was in a concentration camp yeah so. this is about the holocaust but this way. is about the holocaust yeah um <laughs> spoiler alert trigger warning all of the things but it uh it it's Oh, he was saying that he didn't want to go into all of the terrible details surrounding yeah. what happened in there. Like that wasn't the point. He uses stories from the concentration camp to make his point. Yeah. Um, but his point is so much bigger. And this is just his personal experience in his um, goals, like his thesis, if you will. Or Yeah. But no, I like that you point that out because he often says in this book, like, well, this horror has been told before, so that saves me the breath of having to say it again. <laughs> right. Um, and it's not like he doesn't relate some of the horrors, which we will get into some of them, because it underscores yes. the suffering that he endured, the suffering that these people endured, and also underscores the joy that they found in the world's literal darkest place. Yeah. And I think that's what makes this book simultaneously very dark, also very beautiful and so yeah we'll talk about it yeah and without giving away any spoiler alerts or you know without we we will but before right. we get there i guess just a like general description of this is um victor frankel the author was put into a concentration camp and he's a Psychiatrist, psychologist? Yeah, he was like a psychiatrist and a neurologist. And like for a long time, he was like 37 by the time he actually entered. I'm going to butcher the German name. It's like Theresienstadt, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that was the first one he was in. He was shuffled around uh, to many others. But he was already deep in his work as a psychologist before World War II even began. And yeah. his backstory is crazy fascinating. Yes, yes. So let's dive into it. But basically, it is his 
his experiences, but not so much in a lot of gory detail. It's about his experience, but the bigger picture is the meaning in the suffering. Right. And we'll get into all of it, but that's the general idea here is him talking about his experience to an extent, but the bigger picture, the suffering and meaning behind it and how to come through that. Yeah. Not unscathed, but just to, how to con- continue to have a will to live and, and yeah. continue to see the beauty in life and the purpose of suffering. Again, we'll get into it, but that's the general. Yeah, the general overview. Uh, And we'll give you guys a little background on the author. But before we get started, I'm going to awkwardly insert an ad read. I want to give a shout out to my friends over at the American Daily Press. ADP is a budding news organization that is seeking to bring truth and legitimacy back to the world of journalism. Their mission is to empower readers with accurate, well-researched information to foster a deep understanding of our world and break through the propaganda and arming the people with truth. They also just announced a host of new podcasts, including Total Sports Talk, Guys Night, and an upcoming project by our friend No Soup for Knowles. So I'm looking forward to all of that. And so my recommendation is for you guys to go check out American Daily Press. All of their information is in the description below. I've written a few articles for them. I know our friend Frida has written some stuff for them. So they're part of a bigger community. I think it's pretty awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Good job. Thanks. (laughs) One of these days I'll get better at ad reads. I don't know. All right. So our, our dude, Victor Frankel, was already developing his theory of logotherapy and we'll get into the tenets of logotherapy, but that was his approach to psychiatry um, long before he ever entered the internment camp back in the early 1930s. He's barely 25 years old. He was trying to tackle the rising tide of teen suicides in Vienna with this radical idea, free youth counseling centers who would have what thought? A crazy idea. I know. Oh my goodness. Love it. I know. It was amazing. And wouldn't you know, it worked because the suicides among this vulnerable group plummeted to zero. That, that's unheard of. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> Has anybody yeah. else got those stats? Can we say that for any? I don't know. I haven't looked into it, but. No, it, I mean, it's an insane stat because. We look at, I mean, we've talked about mental health extensively on this show and the rising tide of it. And this man, barely 25, working in one community, is able to bring the suicide rates down to zero. What is it that he's doing? What is it that he has a hold of that is really impacting these people? How is he saving them? Like, how can anybody see that number and not go, oh, this guy's on to something? Right. Right, exactly. What is he doing, Kim? How can we emulate this everywhere? Yes. Everywhere. Exactly. Yes. Which is what we should push. Which is what we should push. So if if you hadn't gathered logotherapy, logos being the Greek word for meaning, uh, his approach was to help people find meaning. And of course, this totally clashed with the psychiatric minds of the time, like Sigmund Freud and Alfred Adler, because they're over here pushing, you know, 
necrosis and like all of these inward thoughts and it's like it's because you have these sexual feelings for right. your parents or something like that. I don't know, whatever. Yes. And of course, finding meaning in all of that. No, you can't do that. No, you can't do that. And he talks about this later in the book, like how, and I don't want to jump ahead too much, but he even says that like sex wasn't anything we thought about at all because, yeah. you know, you're surviving, you're starving, you have so, the last thing you're thinking about is, is that. And right. it just shows how frivolous I think, like, not that Freud wasn't on to certain things, but at least in that, he was just kind of like, yeah, there's so much, there's so much deeper. There's so much more. Yeah. There's so much more. Like, that's not the end all be all. <laughs> sorry, Freud. Sorry, Freudians. Sorry, not sorry. Not really. <laughs> yes. So, so anyway. Yeah. Um, before World War II set in, Frankel honed his skills at Steinhoff Psychiatric Hospital. That's where uh, he ended up meeting his first wife, Tilly. Um, he was there helping suicidal women. He helped over 3,000 women not basically not commit suicide, basically overcome their mental strife. And then by 1937, he was able to set up his own practice. But then, of course, the Nazi occupation began. And here they come. Yeah. And there goes that. Ugh. And it's honestly sad and a testament, I think, to his will that he actually had the opportunity to leave the country before he was taken away to a concentration camp. But yeah. he'd be leaving his family behind. And he remembered one of the Ten Commandments, honor thy father and mother, and yeah. stayed behind. <clears throat> and I think something to point out here, and again, not to jump into it too much, but nobody knew what it meant. Yeah. Like to, to like he knew that giving up his visa meant he was going to go to the concentration camp. But he also was in his mind, like, well, I'll be there with my family. I'll be there for my family. He didn't. He didn't know. Nobody knew what going to these camps meant. What it. What would ensue. Yeah. Any details. I think he says even in the beginning, like, we just thought we were going to be workers, like, right at this camp. We thought so, it was a labor camp. Yeah. And I'm not making less of his sacrifice yeah. by any means. I'm just also stating, like, it's commendable and amazing. And it is a true testament to, like, how amazing this man is, you know, was in this decision. But also, he didn't know what was coming. Nobody yeah. did. He didn't know the full extent of it. I right. feel like people had heard whispers, but you know, things aren't real and until they're real. And he actually yeah. talks about this a lot. It took a long time for it to really set in. So of course his family was forced into the Terrans and ghetto um, where unfortunately his wife was forced to have an abortion. Uh, just <sighs> absolutely terrible. Absolutely terrible. Um, I didn't know that part until yeah. I saw that in your notes. I was like, I knew that they were pregnant when this all happened and she lost the baby, but I didn't realize it was that awful. God. The Nazis were awful. Just, so, I mean, it was just terrible. Just, yeah. To put it lightly. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
I just want to get, read you guys this short expert excerpt from the book to kind of give you an image of what he was facing. So as they entered the camp, they'd encounter an officer who would gesture either left or right. Um, and this is what Frankel says. We who were saved, the minority of our transport, found out the truth in the evening. I inquired from the prisoners who had been there for some time where my colleague and friend P might have been sent. Was he sent to the left side? Yes, I replied. Then you can see him there, I was told. Where? A hand pointed to the chimney a few hundred yards off, which was sending up a column of flame into the gray sky of Poland. It dissolved into a sinister cloud of smoke. That is where your friend is, floating up to heaven, was the answer. And so, like you said, he didn't really know until he knew. Until he knew, yeah. And I mean, they knew it was bad. They knew it was going to be awful. I don't think anybody went in like, eh, it's, you know, we'll be fine. But how could you ever predict what they did in the concentration camps? Nobody could think right. that that much evil existed. That's the thing is like, we want so much to think well of our fellow man that no one can really fathom that such evil could be done to another person. I mean, it truly is unfathomable. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Wartime propaganda, he says, wait, so you're saying the Nazis were bad. We're saying that they were bad and that they, uh, that this, the Holocaust was real. (laughs) Oh my gosh. We're going to get canceled now. I know. I know. Uh, I'll, I'll risk it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's something I'm willing to lose our channel over because the Holocaust was real. People lost their, uh, their lives. It was that not just lost their lives, they were murdered in cold blood. And it was one of the world's greatest tragedies. Um, my husband and I, uh, and our friend Abby went to the Holocaust Memorial Museum this past summer. And never have I walked through a more somber place in my whole life. I yeah. mean, the things that we saw and heard, not even like a fraction, I'm sure, of what, the things that actually went on there. But just to get a small glimpse of the events that took place was very humbling and a reminder of how blessed we are here in America to not fear such evil. And it just reminds me that that evil is continuing today in certain parts of the world. Um thinking of places like China and the Uyghur Muslim concentration camps. Yeah. We'd like to think this is behind us, but it's not actually. <clears throat> it's not. And I think, um, I, I think it's important to realize too, like the, this was done in such a way that the, the German people fell for it too. You know what I yeah. mean? Like they kind of all fell in line and I'm not pointing fingers or anything like that, but I'm just, my point is we can't also fall under the trap of thinking that we are above it. Yeah. When we're only what? 80 years. No, yeah. Not even a hundred years removed. And people are already arguing whether this happened or not, that this it's was true insane. or not. So, my whole point and also pointing out that they, that this, yep, this was real. I'll die on this hill, but um, it's, 
the fact that we're forgetting or that it can even be an argument to me is a huge red flag. Like don't, Mm-mm. let's not fall for this too. Let's learn from, yeah. let's learn from history. Let's, let's, uh, let's understand how this, how this happened, why this happened. Right. And not see it come here. <laughs> <sighs> Amen to that. And I, I know uh, the point of this book is not to rehash the whole Holocaust, but it's, it is it's such right. a central theme to his book. It, I think it is still important to talk about it. So just to kind of yeah. like wrap up um, Frankel's yeah. past, so to speak, uh, he spent a total of three years at four different concentration camps. Um, the first one we mentioned, Auschwitz, Koffering Three, and Turkheim. He lost his father in the first one, his brother and mother at Auschwitz, and his wife, who was separated from him at the Bergen-Belsen camp. Um, His sister, Stella, fortunately, was able to escape to Australia. But, um, of course, he was devastated when he returned to Vienna, finally, and found that nobody that he knew and everybody that he loved was gone. Everyone he stayed for was gone. Yeah. Yeah. And so then, like, how, how do you find meaning after that? When everything has been taken from you, what do you do? And that, I think, is a central part of his book. He worked hard on recreating the manuscript about logotherapy that had been taken from him at the first camp. Uh, and he spent nine days penning this book. Uh, he had originally intended to publish it anonymously with his prisoner's yes. number to take the eyes away from him and make it solely about the content of the book but his friends ultimately convinced him to publish it under his own name and today we will discuss it in detail Mm -hmm. absolutely and i think it's very much it gives more validity and more credibility to his story that it wasn't anonymous i can understand i understand like i know he didn't really want to profit from this and he didn't want to um that wasn't the point, but right. I love that he did put his name on it because, again, I think it gives it more validity and gives people less like, well, just some somebody right. maybe. But no, he was he was real. He <laughs> was real. These things actually happened. Yeah, it's not fake, unfortunately. Right, right. Here we are. Here we are. Uh, and so, any thoughts before we roll the spoiler warning for those who haven't read the book? Right. Yes, I did. I did. <laughs> I took my focus gel, you guys, and it's still not helping me today. Uh, not that it's not awesome. I just don't. Squirrel. No, but Squirrel. yeah. Um, something about about the fact that he put his name on it and that he didn't want to. Oh, he was saying also in the beginning of the book that uh, when he gets interviewed, and I think this was not the book itself, but like a preface to one of the newer editions, I think the 1980s, he was saying that reporters and things often ask him how, uh, well, you, you have a bestseller and all these, you've you've translated it so many times and it's sold to so many people and all the stats and like, how do you feel about that? And he's like, I think what that says to me is that they look at the title man's search for meaning. And he goes, I actually think it's sad because that means we're all, in this place together and we're all looking for meaning in life and in all of the suffering. And I, I don't think he says he wish it didn't do well, but it just speaks to where we are 
um, as a people uh, in general, the fact that it's doing so well. Yeah, I absolutely agree. There's a reason this book resonates so deeply with people. It's because we're all trying to find meaning in our lives. This is why we've been pushing so hard against the atheist movement, because this idea that life has no meaning, that God is not there, and that the world is just molecules hurtling through space is an empty promise and leaves people miserable. And so, hopefully tonight, as we get a chance to talk about his approach to finding meaning in life, we'll be able to dig deeper into that. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. So, I think that was my last thought before we spoil everything. Yes. So, if you haven't read the book and you want to read the book before you listen to this podcast, this is your spoiler warning. Yes. Yeah. But again, even with the spoiler alerts, if you haven't read it, you still need to go read it. Because I think we'll talk about so much, but right. when you read it for yourself and when you uh, take the time to, to process everything he's saying, I think everybody can pull something different from it. Whether you know how it goes or not, it, you know, it's not something you still can't glean from. So Absolutely. And if you've read it in the past or you read it a long time ago, read it again because I read it a long time ago and then I power read it uh, for this episode and I was like, there's so much here I forgot and so many things I didn't notice before and now make more sense after all of the things that have gone on in my own life. So just getting a chance to revisit those ideas, I think was very beneficial to me. I think so too. It grows with you. Yeah. Whatever stage you are in your life, I think you can still glean wisdom from all of this. So I agree. Read it again. And then again. <laughs> and then again. <laughs> yeah. At, it's when short, guys. Can, it, that's the nice part too. It is It is a short book. It's only like four and a half hours to listen to, Yeah, which is awesome. And again, if I could do it in two days, if you I could read too. it in two days, you can do it too. Yay. <laughs> all right. So spoil it. All right, let's do it. Okay, so the book is broken up into two major parts. The first part, of course, is his experiences at the concentration camp. The second part is him summarizing the theories of logotherapy in a nutshell. Um, So let's break down part one. So he is primarily interested in looking at the psychology of the prison inmate in a concentration camp. And he says an inmate goes through three primary phases, admission shock, entrenchment in camp routine and apathy and then of course the period following liberation and subsequent disillusionment um thoughts on admission shock that beginning part where they're brought to the concentration camp and it's like this isn't happening this is just a nightmare right 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 it's not it's not as bad as i think or it's not um i'll wake up any minute now it's it's gonna be okay yeah, it's going to be fine. Or it's really not as bad as like, as it seems. Or I, I think, so even with him, when he um, goes up to the guard, like he's hiding this um, manuscript. Oh, yeah. 
mm-hmm. in his jacket. And he's kind of like, well, I'll just befriend this this one guard. Like he's just trying to do whatever he can to keep this manuscript, his life's work kind of thing. And he's uh, going up to the guard and he's like, hey, this is my life's work. Like trying to get sympathy from him. Right. And, and um, talk, talk to him like the guy is a human being. Not that he isn't, but he doesn't think Frankel is a human being. Right. So <laughs> there's no mutual respect there. Um, he, I think that like later I'd be like, man, that was, that was a total waste of my time. I'm, that could have gone worse. I, he doesn't say that, but I think right. <laughs> you could look back and think that. <laughs> Yeah, I'm glad he didn't kill me right there for asking to kill. Because he could have. Like, yeah. They they killed him for less. For less, exactly. Uh, it reminds me of a, a bit. Uh, this is not the same by any means. But like, I've had culture shock before. Like when I my first trip to Haiti, for example, mm. so different. So you know, third world country, and um, going from the airport to the ho- house where we were staying. Just in that moment you you do you like you you kind of step out of yourself yeah and you're kind of watching all of it because it's just so much to process and there's it's just so different Um, again not anywhere near the same by any means it was just like but it's a type of shock right it is a type of shock that we can at least relate to because I pray that none of us here have ever been to a concentration camp um, we'll be in wherever we'll be in one yeah so just any way we can draw some sort of correlation to understand what's going on, I think is valuable. Yeah. And that, that was that for me. I was, I, um, <laughs> the drive from the hotel to the house we were staying in, uh, there was a m- moped accident. Oh, I don't know if I've told this story before. No. There was a moped accident. We came up on it after it had happened. And I remember sitting in the, Tap tap is what it was called. And I saw the mangled moped and I was like, oh, that's bad. And just a few feet, I saw a body with its head covered by a cardboard box. Yeah. And I just looked at my grandpa. Like, I couldn't even process. I was like, it, it, it was so bizarre because I was just like, what? <laughs> so, yeah. Just such like, felt like an idiot, but I would could not process the fact that there was a deceased man on the street just laying there. And he was like, they, they, they won't touch the body. They won't, you know, nobody's coming to like help. That's sad. It was, it was, it was awfully sad, but it took me a long time to even process what that all meant because I was so. Yeah. Could not, could not wrap my mind around all these things hitting me at once. So, Again, not the same, but it is in that the shock and you just disassociate and kind of. So you, you want to put distance between this yourself and the thing you're witnessing. This so, yeah, it's not real. So it, so it can't touch you. So it can't hurt you. Yeah. Um, and I could definitely see why people being transported into these concentration camps would want to create some sort of mental barrier. I know one of the ways uh, he mentioned them trying to cope with it was through humor. And I mean, how many of us when we're suffering the most haven't used dark humor to try and avoid dealing with it? I mean, yeah, every episode, literally (laughs) every episode. Yeah. Uh, Yes. Yeah. 
And I think that's something, again, we'll get into that more, but just the human reactions to things seem so bizarre at times, or they seem like, you know, how could you, but something to keep in mind too is, I pray to God, none of us have ever experienced anything as horrific as this. Right. And we really don't know what our um, coping mechanisms would yeah. be. It, like, so maybe it would be dark humor or maybe it would be just like a total numbness or who knows. So I think it's important to keep in mind, like, try not to judge these people. That's we have no thing. idea. <laughs> we just, we have no clue <clears throat> what it is to suffer quite that deeply. Um, and you mentioned that. And one of the things that comes to mind is the things that they had to learn to live without. Um, I remember him mentioning that it's funny because you think, oh, I can't get to sleep if I don't have this or if I don't have this convenience or I absolutely have to have a shower. I have to have my cell phone by my bedside at this point or I'm going to freak out. You know, they had a pillow. Oh, my gosh. Yes. But then, you know, they're sleeping in these tiny rows all crammed together like two blankets between nine men. It's absolutely insane. Yeah. But they lived through it i mean if you survived it you survived that horror um just to kind of read you guys some of the things that they went through yet still managed to protect themselves against they were unable to clean their teeth yet in spite of that a severe vitamin deficiency they had healthier gums than ever before absolutely insane um We had to wear the same shirts for half a year until they had lost all appearance of being shirts. For days, we were unable to wash even partially because of the frozen water pipes. And yet the sores and abrasions on hands, which were dirty from work in the soil, did not separate unless there was frostbite, of course. Or, for an instance, a light sleeper who used to be disturbed by the slightest noise in the next room now found himself lying pressed against a comrade who snored loudly a few inches from his ear and yet slept quite soundly. And so I guess the question I have, and maybe the question answers itself, I don't know. Was it just natural human resilience or had God placed certain protections over them? Or are those two things even mutually exclusive, you know, because right. God created us? <laughs> I, I think, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I think you're, I think it was definitely both. And, um, <sighs> I was, I, I guess I also was like, they're just so tired. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they have nothing. They Literally have nothing. nothing. Yeah. No, no sustenance to keep them going. They're worked like dogs. And uh, I guess in that situation, you could sleep through anything. And, and, yeah. and it, do, you, you go down to like the, I think the basic necessity of just needing sleep and all the rest is, it does. It just naturally goes right out the window. Right. And yeah, I think that's God protecting them too. <laughs> I mean, kind of. Yeah. 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 <laughs> just like trying to keep them healthy, giving them the means by which to survive. Cause I think of all of the, you know, thousands of years mankind has been around before indoor plumbing, air conditioning. Yeah. We had to survive it somehow. And so I don't know. I think that speaks to the resiliency of the human spirit. And it's interesting to me that there seems to be so much more despair now when there is also so much more wealth. Yes. 
Yes. Who was I? I was talking about this with someone recently. Um, we don't have to, like the lack of having to work so hard just to survive. Yeah. You would think that that would make us happier, that that would make us like a, a much more enlightened, much more uh, like just better, better, yeah. happier, joyful people. And I think the thing is like, we're, we need a bit we of need both. To work. We need, you need that hard work. You need to have grit. You need to have discipline. Um, all of these things make your life better, even though it seems contradictory. Yeah. I'm not saying that work in a concentration camp. <laughs> That's not the same thing as working on your same. family farm. Right. Working to survive as far. Yeah. Even, even hunter gatherers, whatever, yeah. how far, however far back you want to take this, but yeah, you're right. Working on the farm just to survive, just to have your homestead so that you're producing food and, and taking care of all the things. Um, there's, there's so much, um, there's so much joy in that simplicity, if you will. Yeah. And again, I think that that's something we've lost is like the grit and the discipline that comes with all of that. And it was purposeful too. It was purposeful because the thought is, oh, well, if you have every need provided for, if there's a government basic income that everybody gets, so you don't have to work, you'll create amazing art and amazing poetry because now you have the time, right? There will be these massive works of beauty and truth just surrounding us and we've gotten the exact opposite people are tired and more desperate than ever before because they don't have something in their life to give them meaning yeah absolutely and and two to create works of art to create poetry and literature and sculptures and paintings and and all these beautiful things and i'm not even touch you know touching the surface of what i'll but you still have to have discipline. You still have to have a work ethic. You still have to have all these things. And if you never had to, why would you put it into that also? Does that make sense? You know, you can't just paint something, for example. I I couldn't just sit and write a poem. Like that would take, yeah, that would take a lot of hard work and a lot of, um, thinking if nothing else they say it takes like five thousand hours to actually learn an instrument or something right. like that right there you go yeah i could be making that number up for all i know but it's in a crazy amount of time yeah you don't just pick up a guitar start strumming yeah. and come up with a ballad oh like you just you just no. don't that is a lot of hard work and calluses you put on your hands <laughs> but amen like to that. that yeah so Anyway, I don't know. <laughs> uh, we were going somewhere with that. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I lost. Oh, okay. I lost it. Squirrel. Squirrel. Just finding purpose. Okay. So yes. then the next step, of course, after actually entering into the camp, kind of dealing with the shock is just living it. Um, and of course, this okay. is often where the despair really sets in because now you're in this horrific reality and you have a choice in front of you. Yeah. Uh, because it, I mean, he clearly lays out all you have left to you 
is your body. You don't even have your hair because they shave them so like to the skin. It's insane. All they have left is their skeletal bodies and their minds. So they can do one of two things. They can let themselves succumb to the despair or they can choose to survive in it. Absolutely. And I think, again, it all comes down to like that. A big part of that comes down to, have you heard that? Like what's in your cup? Yeah. Phrase that is it's not really Folgers, popular. but <laughs> no, it's North Arrow, obviously. Yes, good North obviously. Arrow. Plug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, when whatever's in your cup, when it gets spilled, that's what comes out. When it gets mm. shaken, that's what comes out. And yeah. that's definitely what you see here is like your identity physically at least has been stripped away from you. You aren't even treated like a human being anymore. Um, the, the guards, the capo, oh, nobody treats you like a person and to hold on to that tenaciously. You're I, who you are inside. Right. Are you, are you strong enough to do so? I'm not sh- I don't, I couldn't answer for myself. Let's not neither. I, I mean, tell just, you. I, I think of, um, you know, when we're in school, for becoming educators, we have to learn about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Uh, and, you know, the base is like food, water, shelter. And then as you build up, you get to the higher needs for social standing, friendship, love. And then, of course, at the peak is h- higher order thinking. And so only after all the other needs are provided can a student experience learn learning at the maximum level. Mm. Um, and this is like the removal of all of those hierarchy of needs until all that is left. I mean, they're not even given the most basic structure. So they don't really have a way to create an inner lives for themselves. They're just, they become desensitized to death. They're desensitized to everything. And it's just a matter of pure survival. And so in the midst of all of that, in the midst of the desperate hunger and the desperate cold and the sickness, they have to find themselves in there somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. And he also makes it a point of like, you can tell when they stopped. Yeah. You could tell when prisoners or when the... um, when his fellow prisoners had stopped, he's like, Oh, he'll be next. He'll yep. be next. They'd lo- lay in bed and light a cigarette and everybody mm-hmm. knew. Oh, yeah. They were done. Yeah. So awful and sad. <laughs> it is awful but. and sad. Um, but Frankel often quoted Nietzsche uh, mm-hmm. in the book. He said, he who has a why to live can bear with almost anyhow. And so I think that is the crux of everything in this dark and horrible and abject place if the person had a why to live whatever the why was he he met all kinds of people and told all of these stories about a man who had a great love or about a man who had something he wanted to go and do i mean frankel himself spoke about his wife and like just the most beautiful poetry you could even imagine and just the thought of her was enough for him to hold on to life. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. I love that. I love that line. And I think it, it is a huge, um, I think it is the theme in this. Yeah. 
you know, he who has a why to live can bear with almost anyhow. I, once you lost that though. Yeah. And we'll talk, I think we'll talk about that more though in the later, like the next part. Yeah. And the, the little so logo I'll leave, part. Yeah. I want to touch on that more, but we'll wait. I just, um, one of the things that was striking to me is how they found beauty in that place. Um, there was one part where he was describing how a man had come and said, you guys have to come see the sunset. You have to come see it. And they all came out and they saw just like the sky split in half. And it was just this beautiful, like fiery orange. And all around them was the dark and desperate gray of the concentration camp. And just that juxtaposition of the beauty of God's glory and creation against man's abject poverty and desolation was striking and amazing to behold. Yeah, absolutely. And the fact that, I mean, yes, the fact that they could see that and find that and not just like not getting out of bed to see a freaking sunset. Right. (laughs) Like I'm starving to death. All I get is this tiny scrap of bread and a ladle of soup a day. Yeah. And soup, like boiled water. <laughs> yeah, boiled water, maybe with the maybe pea. some peas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like soup is a very generous term, but it, right. you know. Anyway, it is it is amazing, and it's. I also think it speaks to how often we take for granted the little beautiful things, like stop yes. and smell the roses. Is an old cliche, but it's still very true you cannot take these things for granted and they're you might have to work harder when life is easier to see the beauty in all of these things but I think it's important to stop and smell the roses to look at the sunset and actually be like hold on (laughs) this is gorgeous this is a beautiful life I see it every day but I, you need to appreciate it anyway. I mean, we do because I mean, uh, he said he was finally able to understand the meaning of the words. The angels are lost in the perpetual contemplation of an infinite glory. I mean, it, it's sad that it takes everything being torn away, all of the trappings, all of the distractions, all of the things that we think matter, all of the things that actually do matter to us for us to see the glory of the angels for us to see the beauty of God's creation and to actually understand the meaning behind the things of these things that he's given us. Um, He spoke about how he finally understood what it meant to love his wife in the truest sense of the word, like when all else is torn away and all you have left is just yourself and your mind and your God, you're able to, either yeah become just an animal just surviving or almost like a higher human being because everything else has been torn away because now you can see clearly for the first time yep absolutely all the distractions all the all the noise all the things are gone and the people who didn't yeah it never felt like he judged them by any means it was never a talking down about somebody who became an animal to survive like you said it was it's 
it's understandable. <laughs> it is understandable. I mean, um, oh, I'm trying to remember what he said. It's like uh, a paradox almost. Like you could choose to become one or the, the other. But again, it was a choice and yeah. you were abandoning yourself to it. I really like the way he talks about suffering. Um, he says a man's suffering is similar to the behavior of a gas. If a certain quantity of a gas is pumped into an empty chamber, it will fill the chamber completely and evenly, no matter how big or how small the chamber is. The suffering completely fills the human soul and conscious mind, no matter whether the suffering is great or little. Therefore, the size of human suffering is absolutely relative. And I think just in that he shows he's never belittling anyone for what they're going through or how they choose to respond to their suffering Mm -hmm. because it's absolute for the person. Yes. Uh, Yeah, it is. And he, and, and he points to his own, you know, he says it's really hard to talk about this analytically because I experienced it. I was going through it. I wasn't outside looking in. I was in it, obviously, um, and he had no special privileges, really, except at the yeah. end, maybe. Towards the end, when he actually got to do his doctorly duties again instead of the hard labor, but even still. But even still. And that was only for a few months, I think. Yeah. Out of the three years. For, yeah, out of the three long yeah. years of hard labor. Yeah. And that was at the end. And yeah. so... He he wasn't given any special treatment, and he said it was hard to be analytical in this to talk about it that way because he was in it. But he he points to himself losing like some of his humanity, if you will. Right. I don't even know if I'd go that far, but he does like you know he's working in the um. I want to say was it tuberculosis? Was oh, it yeah. no? It w- yeah. It was. Okay. It was no. Yeah, I think it was. It was some sort of. Um, it starts with a T. It was a virus of some kind. Folks yep. in the chat, you guys read it. What what was that? Yeah, quiz time. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. We should um, know this. It does start with a T, though. It's not tuberculosis, but it's... No. Typhoid? Typhoid. Yep. That, yep. Yes. <laughs> there we go. I was like, that's wrong. But yes. Uh, so he was working with those patients and he's at one point just sitting eating his soup and he sees this man who passed away that he was talking to two hours before and it yeah. didn't even face him. Yeah. And, and again, that he, it's not a judgment on my part. It's just to um, point that's out that he was. was, yeah, that's how it was. He was in it. He was dealing with it too. He's not talking through this. Like I never, not at all. He's like, I did too. Like all of these things I did too. Like he chose obviously to, to um, find a reason, find a will to live, find all these things. But he, also was like, even so, I'm still yeah. sitting there next to this person who passed away that I was just talking to, and it didn't face me because I had to survive. Yeah. So I appreciate his um, truth. I appreciate his honesty and all of that in the book, too. Agreed. And I like that he recognizes that some of the prisoners and some of the guards were the exact opposite, right? Some guards were kind and some of the prisoners were just awful. Um, And so it's not really a matter of oppressor versus oppressed. I mean, it's, it kind of is that I'll, I'll just read what he said because he's better. Um, 
From all this way, we may learn that there are two races of men in the world, but only these two, the race of the decent man and the race of the indecent man. Both are found everywhere. They penetrate into all groups of society. No group consists entirely of decent or indecent people. In this sense, no group is of pure race, and therefore one occasionally found a decent fellow among the camp guards. You always have a choice. You have a choice when it comes to how you react to the circumstances of your fate. And that choice is what brings us together. If you're going to choose to be an absolute dickhead, despite your (laughs) terrible circumstances, well, that doesn't justify your suffering. That doesn't bring any glory to your suffering. But it does surprise them when one of the capos or one of the guards shows them a kindness, you know, ask them to, what is it? Go to the bottom to get more peas in the soup or you know, gives them a shoe that isn't totally full of holes, you know, just something. Mm-hmm. Small bits of kindness, a small yeah. acts of kindness. Absolutely. Um, and I think that's one thing he talks about too, that I appreciate is the psychology of the guards and the mm-hmm. capo. It was like, they, they, um, they could either treat us like we weren't even human anymore. And the thing is, too, like, you, I don't think you could look at the prisoners as people and treat them as, as terribly as they were treated. No. Not all of them. But uh, I'm try- I, don't, I can't think of any specifics at the moment that he had said. Of course not. But there is, a, there is something to that, too. Like, you might not be suffering in the prison, but you see these people and you have a choice also yeah. in how you treat them. And you also know that if you treat them too kindly, you're going to be severely yeah. punished. That's the thing. I, re- I remember this story of one of the guards. He, F- Frankel had gone to like this seance, right? With a bunch of the other prisoners. Oh, yeah. And one of the guards showed up and he was thought to be like the really mean one, the one nobody liked. No one wanted him right. as their foreman. And one of the prisoners like, hey, hey, read us a poem. And the guard literally pulls a book of poems out of his jacket pocket and starts <laughs> reading them. And fr- they're the most awful poems ever. They're terrible. And, and Frankel's just like, I got to stay alive. They're Woo! amazing. Woo! Yeah. I cheered so loud. Yeah. So hard. <laughs> exactly. But he remembered the kindness. Yeah. And turned around and... Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. He doesn't talk a ton about them, but I do love that he brings brings that all into the fold, too. Right. Because it's easy enough to castigate them as the villains. For sure. Yeah. And not that they didn't deserve. <laughs> right. <laughs> not that many of them weren't. Right. But it's it's... Well, we I, we say this all the time. Like you have to look at things from every perspective. Right. Not that you have to agree, but you have to see it. And they were also in a terrible position to yeah. some extent. Not not comparatively, but still, they could have chosen to stand up for themselves, and then they would have been thrown in the concentration camps too. So it was a question yeah. of: Do I suffer alongside these men, or do I become the person who gives them their sufferings? Exactly. That's that's tough. It is tough. And also, if you did do them any wrong and you became one of the prisoners alongside of them. Yeah. It's not like they're going to treat you 
any better. Right. In there, in that situation either. So I don't know. Anyway, it's, it's a, it's a crazy mess of all sorts of things. It is. Um, and I just want to read this comment because from our friend Frida, because we were talking about finding meaning when everything else is taken away. She said, yes. uh, I think that's why Kyle and I, uh, her husband, have been able to get through anything, not counting all the things that God has done for me. Because when I escaped the cult, I lost my home, my job, my community, everything. And I made Kyle's heart my home. Thank you so much for sharing that with us, yeah. Frida. Thanks, Frida. Yay. But also... That's so important because in that moment when you lose everything, when you find something to give you meaning, when you find something to latch on to, it, it gives voice to that suffering. It gives you something to latch on to and strive through. Yeah, absolutely. And rather than letting your heart be hardened and be bitter mm. and all of the things that people could understand if if you were to choose that path again not not condoning but also it's understandable human nature yada yada right but the fact that you um don't dwell on all of that and then now yeah. appreciate what you do have because you didn't instead of focusing on what you didn't have you're now i'm not trying to put words in your mouth Frida but i think it's it's like i appreciate so much more yeah what I do have. And you chose to appreciate so much more what you have rather than being bitter and hard hearted about it. And that's a big part of all of this too. Just the choices, the choices. Yes. We make. Yeah. The choices we make. I mean, that's really what it all comes down to. Yep. Um, so the last phase of the prisoner is post-war. So immediately after being released from the camps, there are a lot of different ways that a patient could have responded. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of them are kind of sad. Um, there's the taking out violence because violence was done to you. I know Frankel describes this man who basically yanked him along to stomp through a field of young vegetation because he's like, well, why shouldn't I? Right. After all <laughs> I've been through, I should be able to stomp on some young shoots like yeah. I mean, you can't blame him, but right. You can understand where he's coming from, but at the same time, you also hurt for him that it's yeah. there's so much anger and so much and again, not that they didn't have anything to be angry, bitter, right. upset about, oh my word. And I and I I hope I have made this clear, but if I haven't, like I do not I can't tell you how I what yeah. I would do in this situation. I can't tell you I how I would even. respond. I I can't judge any of them i would hope that i would i, w I would hope to be more like victor frankel <laughs> right I, who's I like i don't want to find out but <laughs> yes definitely don't want to find out because there's the opposite side of the despair that everyone and everything was lost which is what victor frankel felt at the start because he had lost everything he had lost all his work he had lost all his family he had lost everything he goes to his home and knocks on the door and the person who answers it isn't anyone he knows and yeah. just how terrible, like, how do you come back from that? What do you grab onto yeah. to hold onto, to keep going? Well, and I think, so there's so much here because 
one, it was, it was so fast. Yeah. Um, that again, it's, it's that shock that like you have, um, like if you're bracing against something for so long, you know, like if you're, yeah. no, it's like getting it. the bends. Tug of right? war. Yeah. That too. Like, or like if, if you're playing tug of war, for example, and you're just, you're pulling and you're pulling and you're pulling because you got to win or whatever. And then all of a sudden the other side lets go. Like you're just gonna, you're going to fall. You're going to fall back and be like, Whoa, what just, what just happened? That wasn't my, that, that wasn't supposed to happen. And I think it's a very spiritual that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah no, that's great. <laughs> They're pulling and pulling and it's let go. And it's just, what do I, Whoa, where did that come from? Yeah. It's over. What do I do now? Right. <clears throat> and there's, I think it's like, you're so lost in all of that because you've had to be in this mindset to just shut it off that you're not going to right. just shut it off. Obviously. No, it's certainly not overnight. It's um, like when men come back from war, yeah. um, the experience of PTSD is so real because you're in yeah. this mindset of just survival, survive, survive. And then you're home and you're supposed to be normal and you're supposed to act like loud sounds don't sound like gunshots and like, you know, yeah, you're supposed to be a happy, normal human being after all of the death and destruction you witness. It's like, how do you do that? After being conditioned for so long to not be normal, yeah. you're just supposed to go right back to it. Like, no. And, and then I think you grieve like later when he goes home, for example, knocks on the door and um, you're grieving. You had all these dreams that you held on to for so long and that's what got you through. Right. And then to go home and like, I think there's a huge loss there that is really hard to describe because it's like I held on to this dream for so long and I don't even get that. Like, yeah. yes, I'm out of there. Yes, this is all done. But um, I don't, but it's also not what I envisioned. And you kind of have to grieve for the, obviously the people you lost, but, but on top of that too, this kind of hard to describe um, loss of those dreams too. Well, it's like, what was it all for? Yes. Yes. Holding on to it and you were hoping to come home to them and there's like no reward at the end there's no vindication it's just over it's like what did I go through all that for and then there's that absolutely that, that that is it like yeah what was the point like yes I made it out but I don't like for him you know could easily be like the family I stayed for is gone I stayed yeah. to help them I stayed to be with them and to to get us all through it together and I don't have any of that anymore yeah. that's gone why why couldn't I have just not been here right. anymore why am I still here they're not here he talks about that later too which will with I think in it it's a, not his situation but somebody but a else's. different man's yeah yeah, yeah. um and he, I know for him he found his meaning and helping people find their meaning and so what a lovely way to kind of tie that all together that in his desperate search for meaning he found his closure and helping other people find theirs and i'll just read you this one last quote from this 
uh, part of the book. The crowning experience for all of all for the homecoming man is the wonderful feeling that after all he has suffered, there is nothing need fear anymore except his God. I mean, what do you have left to be afraid of after you've been through all that? No kidding. No kidding. What could you be afraid of after all? I don't even know. You have been through hell and back, literally. Nothing but God could scare you at that point. And I I love that. It's it's a strength. It's a strength and a... um, I don't want to even say blessing of sorts, but it is a strength that you get from it. You know, we all get strong. What doesn't kill us, make us stronger, that kind of idea. But um, you don't want to have to learn that lesson that way or have to be that way. (laughs) You know, they often say, be careful what you ask God for because he'll give it to you. I don't think God would give anyone that sort of suffering, but he can use it to help people grow and help people find him. And one of the things I I don't think we really mentioned was there were two actual higher order thinking things people did talk about in the camps. And that was politics and religion. And both make perfect sense, right? Politics, of course, wanting to know when the war ended. All of it was rumors and speculation and nobody actually knew. And right. the other was religion. I mean, what else do they have to hold on to except what God? They have? Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny how it it's funny how it boils down to those two things, which makes perfect sense. But it boils down to those two things. And I know that here, those are like two things you don't talk about. I know. Like today, you just don't talk about that. Like you go to a family gathering, for example, and unless you – want to be disowned in some t- sometimes you know like right. you just don't talk about those things or <laughs> that's extreme but you know what i'm saying i do how funny is it that in a time when we have so much wealth and so much around us and just so much abundance that we're not allowed to talk about the things that matter only after everything is stripped away can we kind of have it out with each other and talk about the things that are meaningful yeah i think that's it shows how good our lives are yeah, and not. And also that's really wrong with the foundation of all of it too, that those are not things we talk about. It's sad. Or you're not supposed to. Right. Talk about them. (laughs) All right. So part two is like totally different, but also kind of not, if that makes sense from part one. Part two is him basically summing up his idea of logotherapy in a nutshell. In a nutshell. Absolutely. With some great examples, I have to say. He tells so many great stories. I wish I could just like read all of his stories because I feel like the the stories speak for themselves, you know? Yeah. Which just shows what an amazing writer he is. Absolutely. Um, I do love it because he doesn't shove any of this down your throat. He's not like constantly throwing it in your face. He's just like, this is what it this is what it was. Here here are examples, here are stories, and you just you just get it. And again, it makes him such a fantastic writer. And it's easy, I guess before we jump into this, I do want to say too, it's easy now to be to see his purpose, if you will. Yeah. Like you had said a minute ago, like look how many people he has helped 
with his brilliant mind and with his understanding of suffering and the will, the meaning of it. And, and we'll see here, all these people that he helps. It's so easy for us now to be like, well, yeah, I, he needed to, he needed to survive and to do this and do these things. Um, after the fact, after the fact, after going through all of that, and we so distant from it can say that. But I think my point in this too is like when you're going through all of it too in your own life and whatever that means, I think it does help to take a step outside of it and be like, okay, in 20 years, I will look back at this and find meaning in it or, or, or see it. I mean, I need to right. find meaning in it now, but I think it helps to it's so easy to get so entrenched and get lost in what you are in, in the moment. Yeah. And I'm not saying you need to live outside of that all the time. I'm just saying, I think it helps to like step back, remember people like him be like, okay, I will find meaning in this. I will, I will see it someday. Maybe not until I get to heaven, but Hey, that's okay too. I just, <laughs> I mean, even just trying to stay, step back and reflect upon your own life, wherever you are, how far you wherever have Wherever you are. I mean, you're alive here today. Yep. God has protected you at some point or another. You just have to recognize it. So just taking the moment to step back and reflect upon all of the wonderful things he has done in our lives, I think is a very important and humbling thing to do, like you were saying to give context because we don't notice it when we're in the thick of it and we're in the minutia and we're trying to put it all together. I always, when I think about this, it's a really dumb example, but I often think about college because yeah. I remember freshman year I got there and it was so hard and it was so crazy. And then I got to graduation day and it was like, Oh, it's over. That was weird. That was, <laughs> that was a weird experience. Yeah. <laughs> I made it. <laughs> It's like every day took forever, but then when I got to the end of it, it felt like it took no time at all. Yeah. Does yep. that make sense? It does make sense. Yes, absolutely. Um, I had that with college too. And I'll say that like, just because this is where I'm at in life, um, like the first two years of my first kid's life, <laughs> you know, like you're not sleeping. You're not, mm. you, all these things that you uh, can't do. And then all of a sudden- they don't need you as much anymore. All of a sudden, you know, all of that, those, those moments where you're like, if I have to wake up at two in the morning, one more time, I don't know how I'm going to keep my sanity. And then all of a sudden they're sleeping on their own. They're sleeping through the night. All of these little things that were so hard in the moment, you're like, oh, they're already five, you know, or whatever. Like oh. it happens so fast. Yeah. And again, I'm only saying this example because I'm in it right now. But No, but I love that because that's that's part of the human experience, right? To reflect yeah. back on how you've grown and part of being a parent to just see your children grow and like seeing those moments and think, oh, it's so hard and now they're growing up and ah! Yeah, yeah, exactly. I could go back to those days. Anyway. Right. Yeah. Except you All don't actually that. want to because you want your sleep. I mean, no, I just, I really, really am happy that my kids sleep through the night now. So. <laughs> it's like, can you just older. be cute and cuddly, but also sleep. But I'll, could you just do both? That'd be great. Right. Yeah. Why would they do that? Anyway, yes, taking a step back, even in the moment. That's right. Yeah. 
Um, and so Frankel breaks down logotherapy into three primary parts, um, basically three ways to approach the search for meaning. You can find meaning by creating a work or doing a deed, by experiencing something or encountering someone, or by the attitude we take toward unavoidable suffering. And how ironic or perhaps not ironic that this is such a Christian value to find value in suffering, to find suffering sanctifying. Yeah. Uh, I think that's just part of what makes him so brilliant. I mean, he never comes out really and says that he's Jewish or says that he's a Christian or anything. Um, but the reference to the value of these Christian principles that there is sanctification and suffering, that there is heroism in taking an a noble attitude towards one's own suffering yeah is profound it is profound and i he quotes this in the book and i love this quote too from dostoevsky where he says there's only one thing that i dread not to be worthy of my sufferings mm. and i i love that quote i love that he used that quote i love the idea because again as a christian too like it's not that God sends these things to punish or that even that evil happens to us because God made it happen, but there is sanctification in the suffering. There is growth. There is so, there are so many positives and so much that good that comes from these things. Like you, if you look at somebody who hasn't suffered their entire life, like they right. have had it all handed to them and it's been pretty easy. You're kind of like, it's like a tree that grows without any wind. Have you heard about that? Like that oh. kind of idea. So like trees that are grown in these like very special environments, right? So they, right. they don't have the wind. They have everything catered to them. And the minute a breeze comes through, mm. they topple over because they couldn't grow the roots deep and strong enough to hold them through sense. whatever. Yeah. And I, we, I think are the same. Yeah. Not that. So the idea of being worthy of the suffering seems so counterintuitive, but I also think that's the lie there is that it is yeah. counterintuitive. No, that that actually makes it. more sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's what makes gives you, it's part of what gives you your character and also helps you grow closer to God. If you choose to, I mean, who, who's really good about reaching out to him when things are good and being like, I still need you like my life <laughs> right. right now, but I still need you. Like we should, we should. But I'm just saying like, that's usually not, we're not good at it. It's not, that's not normal. <laughs> I, I like that example. Cause it, it makes me think of the forging of steel, how you yeah. have to be put into the fire and then plunge into the water to be put through all of these processes in order to be strong and durable and sharp. And of course, that, that then makes me think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego yeah. and yeah. how even in the darkest, most terrible place, he's right there. Yeah, right there in, there, in it with them. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I feel like I keep going, taking us off on tangents. And <laughs> I love tangents, though. Okay, so yeah. I do want to tell two stories that he tells in this yes. section because I think 
it'd be good for us to discuss. Um, so the first one I'll read to you. He says, an elderly gentle general practitioner consulted me because of his severe depression. He could not overcome the loss of his wife who had died two years before and whom he had loved above all else. Now, how could I help him? What should I tell him? Well, I refrained from telling him anything, but instead confronted him with the question, what would have happened, doctor, if you had died first and your wife had had to survive you? Oh, he said, for her, this would have been terrible. How would she have suffered? Whereupon I replied, you see, doctor, such a suffering has been spared her, and it was you who have spared her this suffering, to be sure, at the price that you now have to survive and mourn her. He said no word, but shook my hand and calmly left my office. In some way, suffering ceases to be suffering at the moment it finds a meaning, such as the meaning of a sacrifice. Yep. (laughs) I know. I'm sorry. That one, that one always gets me that every time I read that one, that particular story, it gets me every time. Um, It's funny because it's just so simple. Yeah. But it's so good. It's so simple and it's so good. And it's just, I love the way he describes the process of logotherapy that not that he's some great painter trying to paint these great thoughts. He's an eye doctor. He's just widening their vision. He's just trying to help them see things differently. And when you see your suffering as a sacrifice to help somebody else, whether or not that's how it actually is, you know, because it's not like him and his wife were on a cliff and he he let her go (laughs) so she could die and he didn't have to die, right? That's not what happened. But it's just a way of perceiving what is going on and understanding it. Yep. So you can live with it. Yep. Exactly. And I think that's the biggest, the biggest thing in it, in suffering is like, why, 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 why? And he, I love that he doesn't tell him. He lets the man come to it on it. Like he guides him towards the why. And it was enough. It was enough for this man. Like it was enough just to, it didn't have to go any further for him. And I love that too. He was just like, well, what if your wife survived? Like, let's, let's shift our perspective here and let's look at this from a different angle. And to this man in particular, it just made all the sense in the world. And I think that's part of grieving. And I think that's part of suffering is, you know, when it all boils down to it, the question is why? And then if you can answer it, even if it, even if um, the why doesn't make sense to anybody else, but for whatever reason it clicks for you, it just like gives you that closure or whatever that you need. I'm not going to try and psychoanalyze it either, but it's simple and beautiful and it's what we need. And you see it again in all these cases. I won't, I'll let That's you right. continue, but. Um, but uh, I don't even know what to say because all of it is like so emotional. So I, I know I've told <laughs> yeah. this story before um, on stream, but it just makes me think of like for our family, what happened last year um, when we lost our pregnancy, when we lost our child, we could have just stayed in that grief. We could have stayed in that suffering. And for a long time we did because we were like, well, what the heck God. 
but now we're working through the adoption process. And would we have done that if we hadn't prior suffered? If that hadn't happened, we wouldn't be where we are now. And so trying to find meaning in the darkness, trying to find meaning in the suffering, trying to find a way to reorient your life so you can make a good come of it instead of living in just those ruminating thoughts and in those shames and in all of the what could have been because that doesn't help. Right. It doesn't change anything. Wanting it to change doesn't change anything. Taking action and perceiving it differently does. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Coming to terms with it too. Yeah. Yeah. In whatever way that makes sense to you. Yeah. Because I don't think it's going to be the same story for everybody. Totally agree. Yeah. Um, he tells this other story um, about another patient. He had lost his first wife and their six children in the concentration camp of Auschwitz where they were gassed. And it turned out that his second wife was sterile. I observed that procreation is not the only meaning of life for then life in itself would become meaningless. And then something which in itself is meaningless cannot be rendered meaningful merely by its perpetuation. However, the rabbi evaluated his plight as an Orthodox Jew in terms of despair that there was no son for his own who would ever say Kaddish for him after his death. But I would not give up. I made a last attempt to help him by inquiring whether he did not hope to see his children again in heaven. However, my question was followed by an outburst of tears, and now the true reason for his despair came to the fore. He explained that his children, since they died as innocent martyrs, were thus found worthy of the highest place in heaven. But as for him himself, he could not expect as an old sinful man to be assigned the same place. I did not give up, but retorted, is it not conceivable, Rabbi, that precisely this was the meaning of your survive, the meaning of surviving your children, that you may be purified through these years of suffering so that you, hmm. so that finally you too, though not innocent like your children, may become worthy of joining them in heaven. Is it not written in the Psalm that God preserves all your tears? So perhaps none of your sufferings were in vain. For the first time in many years, he found relief from his, his suffering through the new point of view, which I was able to open up to him. It's another good one. <laughs> I know. I picked all the crying ones. These are the ones that always stand out to me because they make me cry. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's beautiful, though. Like, without, without all of the, like, I'm not dismissing any of this. So forgive me if I come off callous, but it's like, don't, he wasn't telling you, go home and journal, go home in and like, yes, thank you. Yeah. He was just like, let's get to the real crux of this right here and right now. Right. And what I love about Frankel, and I think this would, I would assume this would have to be the hardest part of it is for him to be able to, find all the different angles to come at this, yeah. to ask these people all these questions to get to the heart of the matter. And I love that he's not telling them, he's asking. And in the asking, he's allowing them to ask themselves and to really question, because it's so easy to be upset about the surface level. Like I think for the rabbi here, like the surface level to some extent, not to make less of it, but the surface okay. level here is that um, 
I, I, I have no meaning because I cannot have any more children and, and I will not have sons and things like that. But it's like, but, but, but there's more, but it's yeah. deeper than that. It's deeper than that. And he really gets to the heart of it. And that's logotherapy in and of itself is, right. is, is you're really getting to the heart of all of it and understanding the the why again not that we always have answers but just enough to give us purpose in the suffering and i think that's what we're all looking for is like what is what is our purpose in life what is the purpose of this suffering what is the purpose of what i'm doing in general you know all of that we're always looking for meaning yeah <laughs> we're always looking for meaning and he gives that to them and i I have used this for myself, um, you know, like what was the point of all this? And if, even if I can't answer it right now, even if in the suffering right now, I can't answer it. I can tell you that I want to come out better on the other side yeah. and find the meaning maybe later or whatever. But it's just a, it's just an amazing, incredible way to look and think about things. And it's so Christ centered in my mind. It's so. Agreed. Yeah. God-centered, which is so not what we're told today. Yeah. I like what Melee Brawler says, uh, you may not control what happens to you, but you can control how you respond to it. I mean, that's absolutely it, right? All the way down to it. We can't control the things that happen to us in this life. All we can control is the actions that we take in response to the things around us. And so I guess if there is said to be a call to action in a book club, what is yes. your meaning? What is the thing that gives you meaning? We're guaranteed two things in life, right? Death, taxes, all out a third, suffering. Yeah. Because this is a sinful and fallen world. And we have to find the meaning in it. And so what is it that gives your life meaning? What is it that gives your life meaning? Absolutely. What is your... What is the purpose and what... I don't know. And, and no one can tell you that. That's no. the thing. No one can tell you. Nobody and can tell you. Up. It's unique to everybody. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> I know I li like when it comes to the hard things, I'm like, well, will you just tell me what, what I should do? God, will you give me a big neon sign? And I mean, I guess God really is the only one who can tell you. But it's not like he's going to come out of the sky and be like, Elise, just this is your purpose in life. I wish he would. I know. Here's the instruction manual and just like, here's what you do step by step. Right. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I see uh, caveat ties left us a rumble rant. Late, late fee, according to whiskey. You're late. <laughs> it's the end of the podcast. I know. Uh, thank I'm you. getting kicked out. And thank you. And <laughs> don't let whiskey bully you into <laughs> Paying late fees. I will, um, not to totally change the subject, but if we had to pay late fees for everything, I would be more broke than Same. <laughs> any anybody. I would be like the poorest person in the whole world. So, I mean, I yeah. already am, but it'd be so much worse. I mean, I'm pretty broke, but I would be uh, in a, a world of hurt. So, <laughs> cardboard box living, here I come. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I'd be making my clothes out of, you know, leaves and twigs. And <laughs> oh my goodness. I am terrible about that. Um, 
Yeah, I again, if you haven't read it, please go read it and and gleam what it is you need out of this. Yeah. If you've read it, it's been a minute, go read it again because I'm sure you'll get something new, something else out of it. It's it is absolutely amazing and it's hard to put into words too just because I think it also hits everybody at a different level. Yeah. Right? Like you can't tell um can't really tell anybody what to take from this specifically as far as <laughs> as far as uh what it means to them but you have the questions and you know to to live is to suffer and if there's a purpose in living then there's a purpose in suffering as well he says something along those lines as well i wish i couldn't find the quote when i wanted to of course that's how it was something goes. along those lines yeah and um Caveat Ties is asking, what is the book again? It's uh, Man's Search for Meeting by Viktor Frankl. Short book. Doesn't take very long to read or listen to. And it, um, it's just fabulous. It's fantastic. And it makes you think. And <laughs> it's a really good book. And if you've ever wanted to read a book that talks about the meaning of life, or just like you want a perspective on mental health because, and this has been my biggest takeaway from the book this time around, because the way we approach mental health in America is just, I mean, it's terrible. We ask people to lie on couches and reflect back into their past and figure out what your parents did wrong. And now you have trauma and this is why your life sucks. And somehow that's supposed to make your life better, question mark. And now let's pump you full of drugs. That's not <laughs> Victor Frankl's take on it. He says, okay, stop focusing on the past. Let's find the meaning. Let's get to the crux of it. If there's something in your life that caused you suffering, if there's a way that you are suffering now, how can you shift your perspective? Yeah. How can you shift it? How – I love – I am a huge – advocate for this and it probably gets uh i don't know that i've said it a lot here but i'm sure people who talk to me often get really sick of me saying this so. but i i really despise Uh-oh. the victim Did I lose Elise? oh oh no everything's fine on my end can you hear okay me? yes yes you're good it's okay. just my oh that was spooky oh no ah! yeah it's all okay. good okay <laughs> um uh, shoot. Darn it. Darn it. Sorry, you guys. I'm sorry. Uh, oh, I, I absolutely hate the victim mentality. Me too. Do not get me wrong. There are victims to things outside of their, their thing. Life happens. Stuff happens. It's life sucks. And then you die. As my husband is fond of saying, <laughs> I like his positive spin on it. <laughs> He's so positive. <laughs> but to be stuck, like there is a, there is a certain um, thing about being validated. Like, oh, well you feel this way because of this. And it's like, okay, it's nice to understand that. It's good right. to understand that. But then I think that's where it ends. And you like to get stuck in the victim mentality of it rather than pushing through to, okay, what is it about this? that I needed? Why am I doing, you know, the man who lost his wife, like you could really push back and be like, 
well, why did she have to die at all? But for him, it was enough that he right. is the one here suffering through this and she didn't have to without him, yeah. you know. Um, so I'm not saying that he had a victim mentality by any means, but I'm just saying like, I think today in our culture, people get really stuck in that. Like, yeah. woe is me. Um, life just keeps happening to me. Why me? And it's, it, but, but that's where it ends. Right. Like, it's okay to be like, why? Why me? Why this? Why this? Why did this happen to me? Okay, fine. But it did. But it's so it. So now we, I just like that without being a jerk about it, like I'm being right now. He, You're not being a jerk because <laughs> the, this is the thing. It's whether you ask why or not, it doesn't change the fact that it happened. This is what. Oh, I'm going to go off on a tangent now. This is what pisses me off when people said X, Y, Z bad thing happened to me. And that's why God doesn't exist. Just because bad things happen to you doesn't mean God doesn't exist. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if your image of God is this nice, fluffy guy, this genie on a cloud who grants wishes. That ain't it. Whoever told you that is selling you lies. Yeah. And if that's what you had your faith in, then you didn't really have faith in God. Yeah. Anyway, like this person who grants wishes and makes life comfortable and cozy and nothing bad ever happens. Like that's. That's not it. It's never stated anywhere <laughs> in the Bible and it's not shown anywhere by any of anybody in the Bible. Literally. Them, you know, he says you will literally go through the fire, but he will be there with you. Yeah. Yeah. That is the promise. That you don't have to go through it alone. Yep, exactly. And again, I just love that he pushes beyond that with, like I said, without being a total jerk about it, but he pushes beyond that, like, okay, yes, that's what happened. And um, again, you, it is nice to be validated as to why something affects you or triggers you or hurts you or why you handle things this way versus that way, whatever that that's all validating and good. But then you got to move beyond that and be find your why or find your meaning, find what you need to hold on to find what's going to make that click for you. So you can continue to grow, to continue to be a person with a purpose because whether we want to believe it or not, that lack of purpose, I think, is what is so damaging. Right. Yeah. So there's my soapbox. <sighs> I like it. This has been a fun book, even though it was kind of intense and sad. It is intense and it is uh, a little sad. It also makes you think, but it's it's just so worth it. It is. I tend to avoid I tend to avoid like things that are too emotional. <laughs> Honesty was saying like uh, about the movie, I think Sophie's Choice. Mm -hmm. I have not, I don't know if it's a book or not, but I have not watched that on purpose, for example, because I knew it would just be too hard. <laughs> Is that like a My Sister's Keeper type story? Because um, that one sucks. Yeah, that one was tough too. I think it's more like, I, I don't know, because I haven't, okay. I know that she has to pick a child i think oh. is the yeah um again i'm but i know that it's one of those and i'm just like nope no nope. <laughs> i'm not touching it i'm not touching it 
but also I probably should. And things like this book, like it's, it's be like, yep, it can be difficult, but at the same time, it's also, I feel like so insightful and so eye opening. And I just love how he talks about logotherapy and all of it together, how he puts it all together, that it's totally worth it. So coming from someone who's over, over emotional <laughs> about everything. I feel that. It. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> read it. It's worth it. You'll, you'll get something out of it. Yes, absolutely. It's yeah. But yeah, that's our, that's book club this month. Yay. <laughs> so next month, what are we reading next month? Elise? Jane Eyre. Yay. Yay. Something not talking? so depressing. Definitely. Well. <laughs> well, okay. Well. <laughs> not as depressing part? as the Holocaust. Right. True. True. Nothing. What compares? I don't know. Um, it is It is such a good book. Um, and we're going to be talking about that with Faith Moore, which I'm super excited to have her back. I think she said it was one of her favorite. It is her it favorite, is her favorite her- book. And yeah. we're actually doing this in conjunction with her new podcast, uh, Storytime for Grownups. She yeah. is going to be reading that on her podcast and walking you through it and helping you understand it because it is one of those what I consider harder books. I know there were books like you had to read in high school and they're like high literature and they're written in such a way that makes it hard to understand. And those types of books I always found very challenging when I was in school. And I wished I had had a podcast like Storytime for Grownups when I was in school. And now she's doing it. And so we're so excited to do this partnership with her. So make sure you follow her, listen along, and then we will get back together as a group and talk about Jane Eyre on February 4th. Yes. I cannot wait. It is good. Like it's been on my list. I have put that one off for a long time. I'm glad Faith made me read it. Me too. I'm excited. (laughs) It's going to be good. Um, (laughs) But we're going to hang out with you guys over in the Rumble chat. I know Whiskey Biz sent us a message over on Discord. So stick around and we will see you guys there. See you in a minute. hard for you and I want more than anything to fix it. The screen does not work. The screen door does not work. You have to come to this one. This open one. Come on, kitty kitty. I know this is this is big math. This is big brain math. And this is hard, but <laughs> kitty kitty, come on. Come on, buddy. Yeah. Yes. Come here. Hi. Right here. Right over here. All your needs come here. Just come this way. Oh, I felt that in my soul, though. Amen. Yep. <laughs> Amen. Correct. <laughs> Correct. That's awesome. Because that's, yeah, like, yep.
Yep, yep, yep. That's all I have to say. Amazing. Be very hard not to like pick up the cat. I know, right? Chuck it out the door. Not that I'm that mean, but you know what I mean. I do know what you mean. Like again, infinite patience. (laughs) I love fantastic. That was awesome. (laughs) Ah. I think, yeah, I just, I think that he has to be at times like, Can come you on. Just see this. It's right here, right in front of you. And I'm like, what? I don't know. <laughs> I need a sign. Him. Like, that's me. Literally. <laughs> giant neon sign. And he's pro- like, she's like, this is the giant neon sign. And God is probably like, I gave you the giant neon sign. You're just an idiot. You're just a moron. <laughs> That's probably what God says about me all the time. I'm like, I mean, yeah. Like, I love you, but sometimes. I know, I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm so dumb. I'm sorry. <sighs> Thank you for saying you love my glasses. Your glasses you. are so cute. I love them. Thank you. I'm. I don't know. Just was like, what's the most obnoxious pair of glasses I can find? Probably not these, but for me, it they are. <laughs> so we're going for it. Oh. Um, there was something said in the chat at the very beginning, which oh. I'm going to find, sorry, that I, speaking about the Holocaust in World War II, and bear with me just a second, because I really... I, made a note to like, I want to talk about this. <sighs> Maybe. But then again. <laughs> I know. I'm so bad about keeping up with the chat when we're going. Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah, I do apologize. But um, Post said in the chat at the beginning, my son is 11 and homeschooled. He's one of the only children I know that knows about World War II and the lead up. I'm fascinated by it. So we caught on early because of the documentaries I watched. Um, I didn't hide it. I didn't hide it. Yeah. Yeah. Do they hide it in public schools now? That's insane. I don't know. I don't, I'm trying to remember like when I learned about it in school because um, I don't, I mean, obviously high school, but I don't know that we talked about it much before then I don't remember but I know I knew about it because my parents talked about it often yeah like my mom's a huge history buff and she was always like talking about all the things and so for for me in my house like it sounds like it is there too like these are things that are talked about often um just in conversation Right. And I think that's important too, like to have these conversation conversations in your family with your kids. Like, of course, age appropriate because you're not going to like right. want to go into all the gory details, but they at should the same at least time, know that it happened. Yeah. And the lead up to it too, in this in this example, uh, which I feel like um never gets talked about like how did how was hitler so popular how did he come along and people were just like 
um, they went along with it or yeah. he, you know, it just so subtly happened and not so subtly and all, you know, all like the whole lead up to it too is so important. And that's totally agree. Missed, even if, even when they talk about world war two or the Nazis themselves, what I also find super fascinating, not in a good way is that nobody talks about Stalin. Oh my nobody gosh. About Russia. Nobody. I don't understand why. Like, who wrote the Solzhenitsyn who wrote the one about the concentration camps in, it's not quite what they were called in Russia at the time, mm -hmm. but the, I remember reading that in college yeah. and his experiences or the, his character's experiences with it, the gulags. Yeah. And um, I was like, man, nobody, nobody talks about how yeah. bad it was there. Like the most I remember hearing in school was like, we were allied with Russia. Like we knew they were bad, but we also needed them. Right. And that's, that's that. Like we don't talk about how many people were killed in Russia, the USSR at that time. Like, no, we just don't talk about that at all. And it's, oh my goodness. So yeah. Yeah. We focus on, um, we focus on the, Nazis and the concentration camps, not that we shouldn't, right. not that we shouldn't, but there's more. And then you, you barely hear about Japan even, or, oh my gosh. Yeah. or Mussolini or, you know, any of it. So I don't know. Is Just, it any different than now? Because we never hear no. about what's happening in China. Right? No. Agreed. It's not, it's not. And that's the thing is, not only to be aware of our history, but to be aware. That was another thing. Okay. I'm just, I'm going off now. Do uh, history. it. So let's go. I, my mom also, uh, she has had this, like, she's always been so um, passionate about this part of it. She was always like, people here in America will tell you at that time that they didn't know what was going on over there. Like, that's the thing is how could you allow all of that to happen? They're like, we didn't know. We didn't know. And she gets so riled up about it. Like, how did you not know? And the thing is, I remember learning. I guess I haven't looked into it too much, but I remember learning and watching a documentary about how it was the Jews who mostly ran the newspapers at that time. Yeah. And they didn't want to seem sympathetic towards mm. the Jews and what was going on over there. And so they ran it in the paper but not the way not it should have been. Not on the front page, buried at the end. Buried it. Yep. Exactly. And so I again, I don't know if that's all there was to it, but how much don't we know? And I'm pointing fingers at myself too. Like how much do we not know about what's going on now that our kids are going to be like, "How did you not do anything? How did you not know?" Like I now with the news, you right. hear a new story every five minutes and they never follow up. Or or like even once we hear about it, it's like, how did that not impact you? Why did you do nothing? Right. I mean, when the news cycle is every five minutes, tragedy after tragedy after tragedy, and then it's in the news and it's gone a minute later. And then all of the important things, or if it's not politically correct, immediately gets buried or ignored or toned down whatever you want to call it 
Yep. Yep. Exactly. So uh, I don't, I guess I don't feel quite the same as far as like, how did they not know? Yeah. I, I, I think they didn't or that it wasn't portrayed in a way that brought it to their, they didn't believe it. Exactly. It wasn't believable even. And people even looking at pictures after, like right after when they would send pictures home, people were just like, that's not, that's not real. Those aren't, those aren't humans. Like, how, how many pictures have real. we gotten from Israel and people are mm. saying that's not real? That's not happening. Right. Exactly. So, I, I don't know. I, yeah, I didn't mean to go off on this whole tangent about history in World War II, but. But <laughs> this is the Science and History podcast, if you didn't know. That's kind of what we do. Even during book club, that's what we do. That's right. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it's just. Be, in, be informed as best yeah. you can, but also don't get bogged down in it either. Cause that for me is also a thing. I don't know if it is for yes. you, but oh. I also, I also can listen to too much or news or whatever and just be like, I can't. I, can't I know there was a time when I had to just like tune out of everything because at some mm-hmm. point it's like, what am I supposed to do about it? Like, what can I do? What can I change? What, I, I don't have the tools. I'm just a uh, high school teacher with a little podcast. Like it's yeah. not, I'm not anyone in a position of power. All I have is my vote and my knowledge. Yep. You know, I know, I know. And that's a, that's a hard part of it too, is like, it can be very, um, I can't think of the right word, but it can be very hard. Yeah. Yes. Very discouraging. And you can get almost, um, to bog down in it. Anyway, yeah. my point is, I agree with you. You come to a point where you're also like, okay, I know all of this now. Now what do <laughs> what I do, do, with, do it? with it? Yeah. yeah. But I do think I don't have any answers at the moment necessarily, except just that you won't be fooled. Yeah. You know, and, and those who will listen, try and tell and I don't know just being ignorant isn't the answer is all I can say yeah burying your head in the sand and pretending it's not happening is worse so yeah yeah better to know than to not know um but at least when we know we can pray you know we can pray over those people pray over those situations and that's certainly not nothing that's not nothing and that shouldn't be dismissed either yeah. Who needs words? Not us. Not us. If I, if I move my hands enough, will you get You guys one? get it? Charades? Charades? Yes. Okay. Remember when we did like half an episode with charades? Yeah. <laughs> just, just was what it was. <laughs> that was amazing. That was great. <laughs> oh, sorry. I am so cold, you guys. Ah, oh, yeah. So... Is there anything you would like to say? I think we have, I have something I want to like, I need to. Yeah, you're good. Go. We have an announcement, but do you have anything (laughs) that you want to say before this? Okay. Uh, So not to completely derail this whole thing and um, turn, I 
turn Rumble Chat into. I don't know. It'll be good. It'll be. Okay. It's fine. It's fine, you guys. Obviously, I did not prepare myself. Uh, who who's just, prepared to speak in front of five people or whoever's listening <laughs> still? Five people. All people. of you who are still here. Yeah. <clears throat> um. No. Basically. Uh. Unfortunately. At this time, I have told Jess that uh, I need to take a step back from quirks. And I hate even saying that out loud. <laughs> I hate that that's the decision I've come to. But I will just be perfectly frank. And we'll explain, uh, you know, I'll explain what that means in a minute. But um, basically, life. <laughs> life do happen. Life do happen, but I have been, I have been going through a lot that I haven't shared. And basically I just am that person who doesn't really share a lot, even with my closest people. Uh, Not because I can't, but I just have a very hard time doing it. So y'all just bear with me for a minute. I will try my best to get it all out. Um, I know. And I love you guys. And that's why we're doing this. So I, Jess and I had to talk about this a while ago and I told her a while, like Sunday, <laughs> like it wasn't yesterday, but it wasn't a month ago either <laughs> Sunday. And, um, basically this last year for me has been a lot. And what I mean is, um, I unfortunately have, uh, gone through a divorce. I have moved out of my house with my girls and that I was a stay at home mom who hasn't, I haven't been in the workplace in like four years, not opposed to working. I just haven't had to. And, um, there's been a lot of grief. There's been a lot of, obviously there's been a lot of like my, just my whole world is turned upside down and, I could not have been more grateful for this podcast. I could not have been more grateful. I think it really came at a beautiful time for me. Uh, I have learned how to have a voice again, which I haven't had in a long time. And it's, uh, it's all just been very tough. But the biggest key factor in all of this, without giving you a whole sob story, is just that I was home every day with my girls and I am a homeschool mom and uh, that was, that was my life. That was my job and I loved it. And now that time has been cut in half and um, which is great in that, you know, their relationship with their dad is very important to me. But it's also been very difficult for me in that um, I have lost a lot of time with them and it's been very hard to process. And then also I do need to go back to work, um, which I have found a great job, which allows me to be with the girls while I'm working, which is wonderful. Okay. But it's also just, it is, it's, it's, it's yeah. fantastic. And I'm so blessed and I'm so grateful. But unfortunately it just means... Um, that I think my priorities right now need to be my family absolutely, and trying to rebalance like working again and taking care of them and giving them everything I can when I have them soaking up that time. And also just like this whole grieving process has really hit me. I'm the type of person who when tragedy strikes, like 
I am fine for like a while afterwards. And then it hit like when everything's fine after all the problems have resolved for the most part, then it hits me really hard and that's where I'm at. So I, I didn't foresee any of this coming down the pike as far as like derailing me from quirks. So, and I hate that. And, um, but I do think I have to, in this time, put my girls first. And I don't want to not give to this what it deserves uh, because this is um, such a blessing and I've loved it so much. And I love this community. I cannot tell you guys how wonderful Jess is and what a wonderful friend she's become to me. I'm going to stop or I'll start crying. And I've done such a good job. I have done such a good job. We're not going to cry tonight. I have made it this far. I'm not going to do it now. (laughs) Um, But I just, all of that has been so wonderful. And I hope that if nothing else, y'all know, I have nothing negative to say. It's just really boils down to, I think I have to put all of, I think I have to put them first and also not let this suffer because I'm trying to your girls Balance come first. I mean, th- that's what it comes down yeah. to. It's like ch- your children come first every single time. And as much as we love you guys and we love this community and we love working together, yeah, family is the most important thing in the world every single time. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's our unfortunate, our, unfortunately our big announcement, <laughs> but, um, you know, and, and we don't know exactly what the future holds for quirks and things like that. That's I just right. know f- it's not going to be um, what we've been doing. It's not going to be weekly anymore. We'll still do book club once a month, right? Because we're going to see Faith in February. I know uh, next week, Frida's going to come yes. hang out with me and we're going to talk Bible study stuff. So it's not like th- there won't still be some quirks community. It's just not going to be every single Friday like it has been. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, so we'll see what, what that all brings, where it goes, what happens. But, um, I also want to say that y'all are so, (laughs) I'm skimming your comments because I know they'll all make me cry. I love you guys so much. So thank you. (laughs) And, um, just this this community has been awesome and I um, adore each and every one of you. Thank you for listening and being here with us. And I can't I can't speak enough about how much this has been a blessing in my life. So thank you. We thank love you. you. Thank you, Jess. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you guys for going on this journey with us. Thank you, Elise, for doing this with me. And it's not it's not like we're saying goodbye. We're just letting you guys know that we're toning it down a little bit and maybe not doing quite as much as we were before and we'll still be around online we'll still be on discord we love you guys so so much yeah yeah on that note (laughs) on that note (laughs) we hope you guys have a lovely lovely friday we'll see you in discord love you guys so much thank you love you bye